closely attached to his ministry, a lady by the name of Frances Jane Crosby, otherwise known as Fanny Crosby. Someone who wrote more than 8,000 hymns, many of which are in our songbooks. In fact, there are probably more in our songbooks than we know of because she had over 200 different pen names. And both Moody and his music director, Ira Sankey, were on the record as saying that her hymns played a big part in her, their revival meetings being such a big success. Though she is mostly known for writing music, she also wrote poems and two best-selling books. She's actually a big part of American history, as she is a descendant of the Mayflower families. She is related to one of the founders of Harvard. She was one of the early voices to end slavery in America, the first woman to speak before the Senate. And several of her descendants are famous singers, one which you probably enjoy every Christmas. A man by the name of Harry Crosby, or perhaps better known as Bing Crosby. Now, as you heard me read, we're here in 1 Peter this morning, and the best way I could summarize what's happening here is Peter is writing so that Christians can have a fixed point. I remember being on a boat in the Caribbean, feeling a little seasick, and one of the workers on the boat said to me, what you need to do is you need to find a fixed point. I remember being in the city of Detroit with my mother. We weren't exactly sure how to get where we needed to go, but we finally saw the high-rise building that we needed to get to. We used that as as a fixed point to guide our way there. And here the idea is, is that during chaos and uncertainty and all manner of trouble, things that cause us to drift, things that cause us to wander, Christians have a fixed point. And that fixed point is meant to settle our uneasiness. It is meant to help us navigate the pressure. And most of all, it's meant to help us to be Christians. This fixed point was the object of many songs and poems by Fanny Crosby. She used them during many different storms in her life. And that fixed point is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Three points for you this morning. Number one, number one, our relationship with Jesus Christ, number one, is a relationship that is greater than our flesh. A relationship that is greater than our flesh. Twice in verse 8 here, the Bible mentions the lack of physical connection with Jesus. You see there first, he says, whom you have not seen. It is a phrase that is in the past. The people reading the letter never met Jesus as he was walking on the earth. The idea is not that maybe they didn't see him at one of the feasts or they may may at one point came across him on their travels. But the idea is they never knew him in the same way that Peter did. What the Bible is saying here, what Peter is trying to say, and as he will say again later in this book, is that because that they, even though they did not know him physically when he was there, they are not left to some disadvantage. Then he says it a second time in verse 8, though now you see him not. Of course, this is the sense of the present. So not only did I not know him in the past, it is the idea that they have no steadfast manifestation of Jesus now. 
There's no supernatural visions helping them along. There's no angelic visitations. They're not dreaming dreams. And so without knowing him at all in the flesh, without having any sort of current revelation, the Bible says that a Christian loves Jesus and believes the gospel. Or let me put it this way. So during COVID-19 and riots and election years, we feel the pressure of ungodliness. And the Bible describes this as having all the strength of grass. Grass on a hot day. In other words, the Bible describes our flesh as failing. COVID-19 and riots and election years and anxiety goes up and we can't think straight. Faith seems to be completely missing. And the Bible says in the midst of all of this, you have a fixed point. The gospel is true. Jesus is precious. And the normal Christian life is loving Jesus and believing the gospel without the benefit of fleshly strength. The fixed point means that you don't need your flesh to love Jesus and to believe the gospel. You don't need to feel it. You don't need some supernatural experience. This isn't about mustering whatever strength you can so you can motor forward. Your relationship with Jesus is built on something that has existed before you. It exists with you and exists long past you. And that something is not your flesh. Jesus starts and keeps and brings to the end your relationship with him. And as one theologian mentioned, perhaps the most dangerous Christian you could meet is one who has no sense of the presence of God, who might even have an odd feeling they've been abandoned, yet still obeys. Now, Fanny Crosby literally couldn't see. She lost her sight at two years old. Now, there's some debate as to how that happened, but it was most likely genetics. And because of that, her mom wanted to respond to it by getting her the absolute best education she could. See, since she was not going to be able to pick up a book and and read at any time, she was encouraged to begin memorizing everything. This way, she could walk around with books in her head. Along with many other things she memorized, she memorized church creeds, early sermons, uh, and of course the Bible. In fact, by the age of 10, she began to memorize five chapters of the Bible every week. By the age of 15, she had the first five books of the Bible, the book of Proverbs, the book of Songs, and all four Gospels committed to memory. And by age 23, she could play the piano, the organ, the harp, the guitar, and was a skilled soprano. Fanny Crosby was clearly gifted. But all the natural gifts in the world could not handle the realities of her life. Her father died when she was young. Her mother tried to remarry, but this man, after having several children with her mom, abandoned them. There were always rumors following Fanny Crosby around about her family. And despite being attached to the higher members of society, she was rarely accepted by them. Her mother and grandmother were strong women, and they taught Fanny to be strong. But as we'll find out, that strength would fail. Now, Fanny would later say in her life that it was through her weakness 
that she found her fixed point. The things she could not do, the fact that she could not see, was where she actually found her abiding Christian faith. And many of her songs reflect the fact that she knew when everything else was taken away, when her flesh would fail, when those around her would fail, which they would do, she had a relationship with Jesus. He was still precious. What he did was still true. Even without the benefit of fleshly strength. Number two. Our relationship with Jesus is a relationship that provides unspeakable joy and heavy glory. It provides unspeakable joy and heavy glory. That's what the phrase says here. You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Having never met Jesus, now under tremendous pressure and no supernatural help to encourage you while you're under this pressure, the Bible describes a Christian as one who rejoices. Now, just before this, in verse 6, the Bible says that these were Christians who were full of grief, heaviness, life is hard. But Christians rejoice. Now, the immediate temptation that every Christian is going to have this morning is to look for this in themselves, and that would be a mistake. You see, if you think God is expecting you, that you're responsible for self-generating some sort of joy and some sort of confidence in the midst of difficulty, the only thing you're going to have is unspeakable despair and heavy doubts. How many of you remember Geraldo Rivera? In fact, I say that, I think he's still alive. Do you remember when he opened Capone's vault? So this is big deal. Al Cap- they thought they had found Al Capone's vault where he had kept all of his money uh, that he was going to get back to when he got out of jail for tax fraud. And they opened it. And what did they find? Nothing. Just one big letdown. And if you go looking for this joy that is talked about here and this glory in yourself, there's going to be one big letdown. Because the Bible's talking about something here that you can't just work up. No, the joy and glory that Peter is talking about here is Jesus. He is the unspeakable joy. He is the heavy weight of glory. So here's the fixed point that Peter's trying to point them to. You see, just like a Christian can love Jesus without the help of the flesh, and just like a Christian can believe Jesus without the help of the flesh, a Christian can rejoice and enjoy Christ without the help of the flesh. That's the point of unspeakable joy. To rejoice under such pressure is a contradiction to the natural man. I remember being in West Virginia, pastoring down there, and we would get a good snow. And a good snow always makes me smile. And I would walk into the office and the pastor, the other pastor there, the church secretary, they were both from the south. And so I would come in and we would have this big snow. And they would look at me and they would look at the joy on my face and say, that is unnatural. You see, we can have such a joy without our flesh. Because our joy is tied to who Jesus is. And this idea of the full glory is the idea of there being no counterweight. There's nothing that can match it. There's nothing in your flesh, nothing in the world, nothing that contains the glory to the amount and density that Jesus does. 
And this heavy glory is attached to Jesus, and Jesus is attached to you and cannot be taken away. And so a season might take away your health, a season might take away your job, your season might take away your mental strength, but it cannot take you away from the heavy glory of Jesus. Now over time, Fanny Crosby became very well known. She became an activist for the education of the blind. She ended up performing music for the U.S. President Polk, became friends with U.S. President Grover Cleveland. She was a loved and respected professor at the New York Institute of the Blind until all that was taken away. In 1849, an epidemic hit New York City. All of her well-known and well-connected friends abandoned the city. She stayed to nurse the sick. She did all that she could, but the epidemic left her feeling worn out, anxious, depressed. Day after day of nothing but doom and gloom. And it was in that moment she realized something was lacking in her spiritual life. She becomes so wrapped up in the glory of social, political, and education reform. She began to struggle. She began to bounce from church to church. One week at a Congregationalist, another Episcopalian, a Dutch Reformed, a Methodist. And she realized then that the problem was that she had begun to love things more than she loved God. And so when all of it was taken away, her joy went with it. So she began to make new friends. And they pointed her to the preciousness of Jesus. And she began to reflect this in her music writing. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. 1864 is known the year that her hymn writing really took off. Her hope was that she would write enough hymns so that a million people would come to Christ. Scholars look at that work during that period of time and realize she placed all the emphasis on the relationship the believer had with Christ. Praise him, praise him, tell of his excellent greatness. Great things he has taught us, great things he has done, great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. Tell me the story of Jesus, write on my heart every word. I think of my blessed Redeemer, I think of him all day long. So many songs about Jesus the source of indescribable joy and glory that cannot be taken away. Number three, our relationship with Jesus is a fixed point because it is a relationship by which we receive salvation. A relationship by which we receive salvation. Now before the text we talk about this morning, Peter starts out by establishing two things. Anybody who is lost can be saved. Anybody who is saved cannot be lost. And what that meant to do was to say, the truth is that your circumstances and your situations do not interrupt what God is doing. So in verse 9, we find out the result of putting our faith in Christ is we are receiving. Now this is a wonderfully unique phrase that he uses here because he's not saying that they have already received their salvation he's also not saying that they will receive their salvation this unique phrase is the idea that they are actively in the most active sense receiving their salvation think of the old uh, uh, post office creed right 
Neither rain nor sleet nor snow will keep me from my appointed rounds. And the idea then is that persecution will not stop you from receiving all that God has for you in this life and the next. It's the idea that failure, weakness, struggle will not keep you from receiving all that God has for you in this life and the next. All that rustling with your sin will not keep you from receiving in this life what God has for you. Everything that God has for you will be delivered. So what is it exactly we're receiving? Through every circumstance, God is going to work in our lives to create a love, a joy that moves in the opposite direction of the world. So, for example, Ephesians tells us that the human race is born with the mind of the enemy. Our natural disposition is to do the opposite of what God wants us to do, to do the opposite of what God made us to do. But then we become a Christian. We put our faith in Christ, and that means that every trial, every good time, every season, we receive from God that which turns us against the stream of godliness and immorality. You see, your fixed point here is that in your times of turmoil, no matter what, you are receiving the salvation of your soul. Now, Fanny Crosby did not just write hymns. In fact, she co-wrote a number of songs. In 1853, a song she wrote became a huge hit in the U.S. Her, uh, her and a man by the name of George Root became, uh, were kind of a type of Rodgers and Hammerstein, if you know what that phrase means. She was also consulted for political songs. You see, long before you saw the TV ads about the, the enemy who was going to eat your children, Long before there were radio ads, the way you reach people was through catchy campaign songs. She also wrote choir pieces, both used for popular entertainment and for the church. But she was mostly known for her hymn writing. And in that area, she was not always popular and loved. You see, Fanny Crosby received a lot of criticism for her hymns. Before she came along, predominantly church music was focused either on the theology of God or the sinfulness of people. Neither of those things are bad. But Crosby came along and became more sentimental. Her music is described as crude, as weak, as poor. But her defenders responded by saying she had a unique gift for understanding the experience of the normal Christian. She understood the longing of the heart. And the fact that so many of her hymns still resonate today, both with the old and young, proves that defense. But there were many times she needed reassurance that she had not been abandoned. She did marry, but there was a tremendous struggle with it because immediately she had to travel. She was very famous. Because of that, for the majority of her marriage, they never lived together. And that caused a great deal of struggle. She eventually did become pregnant But the baby girl died long long after she was born. You see, if you read about her life, you'll notice that her her circumstances and situations would change rapidly. She would, at one point, be the most popular woman in America, and then she would meet all sorts of difficulty and tragedy. But what is clear, she was always on the receiving end of God's work in her life. It might surprise you that at the end of her life, Fanny Crosby wanted to be known more as a missionary than a a songwriter. 
Until well into her 80s, she was serving the poorest people in New York City. For someone who was receiving large and continuous royalty checks, she never really had any possessions, actually never even owned a house of her own. Upon her death, money was given to establish a home for the aging, or a nursing home as we would call it today, which ran from 1925 until 1996 only on the money she gave. Now, every generation of Christians have experienced times and seasons that cause us to feel like we're a ship at rocky sea. There have been times that have been hard to navigate because we as this generation have never been there before. But the Bible gives us here this fixed point to calm our queasy stomachs, to guide us through these trials. Instead of getting discouraged when our flesh fails, we love Christ and believe his gospel because he is still precious and the gospel is still true no matter how we feel on any given day. Instead of growing depressed and anxious because so many things we hold dear are taken away, let us be a people who rejoice for Christ is our unexplainable joy and our heavy glory. A joy and glory that cannot be taken away. And no matter which way the political winds or the economic winds or the generational winds are blowing, we are and will receive the end of our faith in Christ, the salvation of our soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these fixed points. Lord, so many times our strength will fail, our flesh will fail. We are not smart enough, we are not strong enough, we are not capable. Christ is still precious, the gospel is still true. And Lord, no matter what is taken away from us in this life, we have a relationship with Christ so that this joy and this glory cannot be taken away ever by anyone or anything. And Father, thank you that no matter what is happening, we are receiving. You are working. We know that we will and we are receiving the salvation of our soul. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close the service this morning, take your blue hymnal, turn to page 491.